Hey, y'all. This is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 17 and 30 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about the return of Reggie Jackson to the lineup, the performances of Sekou Dumbuya and Lewis King, and we remember the life and legacy of Kobe Bryant. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Hey, Laz, I'm, I'm doing good. We're obviously a little bit saddened recording just a few hours after you know some tragic news for anyone who's a fan of the NBA, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But you know, I'm fortunate to be doing pretty well otherwise. How are you, Laz? Uh, I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, that that tragic news you you mentioned was obviously the uh, the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and uh, and his one of his daughters. Uh, Kobe was forty one. Um, what I guess, if if anything, uh, are your thoughts about uh, Kobe and, and the legacy uh, he left behind, Ben? Yeah, so there are you know certainly going to be people who will eulogize him more eloquently than I could ever hope to when. Uh, You know, it's not my goal to do that. I think, you know, for me, the thing that actually hit me the hardest, and, you know, I'm not typically a guy uh, who gets impacted really significantly when, you know, there's news about celebrities, whether that's positive or tragic like this. um, But but this one did hit me pretty hard, and it, it hit me hard from the perspective of just the human familial part of this story. As our listeners know, I'm fortunate to be a father to two young children. Uh, and the thing, you know, about this tragedy is just that, you know, obviously he was with his 13 year old daughter doing just a normal daily routine sort of thing, which is traveling to one of her basketball games. Now, obviously it was in a helicopter, not something most of us can relate to, but really we can. And the thing that I sent out Twitter uh, on Twitter was, you know, I, I, tr- I travel with my kids on a daily basis to and from their uh, daycare slash educational um, center on a daily basis. And it, it's just that unexpected moment of tragedy in the daily routine that really hit me hard. Um, you know, so I'm going to be careful tomorrow. I'm going to be careful the next day and I'm going to, you know, pay special care to, to cherish every moment I've got with my kids. No, absolutely. I think that's, that's generally the lesson you can, you can always take away when, uh, someone is, is, you know, departs, uh, earlier than it was expected them to, is you just always look at what is like left behind for them. And, you know, obviously Kobe leaves behind uh, a, an amazing basketball legacy and uh, the, you know, success outside of the sport. But, you know, my thoughts right now are also like with his wife and his surviving children, you know, like that is, I can't, I can't, I honestly can't imagine 
like what the the living are are going through right now and so you know i can't i can't imagine what like what they're what's running through their heads at this time and so my my thoughts and my prayers are with vanessa and, and his remaining uh, children um that is something that no no parent uh no no child should have to endure and uh and so our our thoughts are with them at, uh, during this difficult time all right ben uh something i guess a little bit lighter uh, the return of Reggie Jackson. Uh, Reggie's finally back. He missed the first 40-plus uh, games of the year for the Detroit Pistons. Um, we've seen him uh, come off the bench. We've seen him start games. We've seen um, him be employed at the same time as Derrick Rose. We've seen them uh, come off in shifts. You know, how does how does seeing the way that Reggie has been used alongside and, you know, uh, in shift with Derrick Rose make you feel about the year the Pistons could have had? Well, it's certainly very much a, a what could have been sort of feeling, isn't it? I mean, uh, I, I don't like putting them on the court together. I don't think that was particularly effective. Um, and, and I actually caught the replay of the Memphis game uh, this morning uh, as I wasn't able to catch it live. So maybe that's a little fresher in my mind than some of the other stuff. But uh, definitely some very, very nice play from both of them. Um, you know, obviously when you look at these two in tandem as sort of a one-two punch, regardless of who starts or comes off the bench, um, obviously some of the most effective, uh, one-two point guard Pistons play that the franchise has seen in a very, very long time, right? I mean, Rose is obviously having a fringe all-star sort of season. Um, Reggie Jackson, I thought looked particularly interesting in the pick and roll, uh, with Christian Wood. And it just very much felt like, wow, what if we had been able to have this for, you know, the first whatever, however many games of the season, it's been now 40 some, some odd games. Um, you know, that I, I think one of the things that I was thinking about was some of my preseason thoughts about this team. And Laz, as our listeners know, I was probably more optimistic than a lot of folks were. Um, and I think we're seeing glimpses as to why. I think, you know, if you look at the early part of the season where, um, Derek Rose and Luke Kennard were sort of this dynamic one-two punch off the bench in the backcourt. You can certainly envision how uh, Reggie Jackson would have been effective in the pick and roll in the starting lineup with Andre Drummond and, of course, uh, Blake Griffin, another guy we've lost to injury. So, you know, you're so- starting to sort of see why I had some optimism about this team. I think they could have been pretty good, right? Not great, but pretty good. And the other thing I, I was reflecting on was um, – I really wanted this team to sort of go in all in offensively going into the season this summer. And, uh, you know, if they'd stayed healthy, I think there, there might've actually been something to that. Their defense is obviously still a big problem. Uh, we saw, you know, that was on full display at points throughout this week of basketball. Um, but I think they could have had a pretty dynamic offense. Uh, and it, surprisingly something the Pistons fans have not been accustomed to is I think their bench would have been really dynamic as well. So they'd have been pretty, pretty solid up front and then would have lost a whole lot uh, when that healthy second unit came onto the court. So yeah, I mean, lots of fun to be had uh, with the Reggie Derrick Rose uh, healthy point guard situation. Yeah. I think the thing that I, I think about is that is like you mentioned the, the dynamic uh, offense this team could have had. I think when when you watch Dwayne Casey put you know Derrick Rose and Reggie Jackson on the court together, you you see what he's trying to do. He's just trying to get you know more ball handling, more guys who can attack the rim on the court at the same time. 
And so I think that like that just means to me like this has to be an offseason priority of the team to get more guys who can handle the ball and attack the rim and, and be dynamic offensively. Um, that's something that's been clearly missing from this team, you know, since Reggie was out, since even like Luke was out. Um, they just haven't had that. They've been, you know, compelled to go in the, you know, Bruce Brown, Tim Frazier direction at point guard. And while, you know, I have a lot of high hopes for Bruce Brown, I can honestly say, like, he is not as dynamic as Reggie Jackson and Luke Kennard are in the pick and roll. I, I like I can think that I think that's fair. Um, you know, this this does kind of point to, you know, our preseason expectations and, and everything. But if Blake Griffin, if this is going to happen to Blake Griffin, um, I don't know if you know, another 40 games of Reggie Jackson is keeping this team in the playoffs without Blake. Um, I I think that it maybe does a better job of keeping Derrick Rose's minutes a little bit low, which is something that is starting to concern me a lot. Uh, Rose, I think, played 37 minutes in the overtime win over Brooklyn in the Pistons last game. Like that is far too many minutes for uh, us to expect Derrick Rose to, to stay healthy playing. Uh, the other thing I think about is like with Reggie Jackson, um, does his presence for the rest of this year make it easier for the front office to say to Dwayne Casey, like, hey, like we can trade Derrick Rose and you can still like run out of point guard. Like you can you do not you don't have to worry about being forced to start Bruce Brown at point guard because we still have like one more legitimate guy for you to work with during the season. And, you know, next offseason, we'll pick up another point guard. We'll draft one or we'll sign one in free agency like they've been rumored to. And so that's maybe a pitch you can make to the coaching staff uh, as you try and, you know, solicit offers around the league for for what you can get for Derrick Rose. But yeah, like I'm and the other thing was like how just how dynamic Reggie looked like immediately. If you remember, like last year, it took him, you know, until January, February to, to hit his stride. Um, you know, the first game against Sacramento, he was, you know, scoring 20 points and operating in the pick and roll. He hit, he, he's hitting those floaters that uh, he always seems to be able to get to. So it's just, it was good to see him be dynamic right away with no runway. That's, that's making me a little bit optimistic about what we're going to get from Luke Kennard on uh, whenever he returns, which is supposed to happen, you know, sometime in the next few weeks. They said before the all-star break, which I believe is, uh, week of the 15th i think the weekend of the 15th um and it makes me you know optimistic for you know what we'll see from blake griffin when he returns in the next season since he's not going to play the rest of the season but you know if this if this training staff is given time to uh to rehabilitate players fully um you know with you know with reggie's return uh with derrick rose the way he's played this entire season it gives me hope that guys will come back and they'll be playing at, you know, roughly what we would approximate them to before they got injured, which is always a good sign, you know, and, and not always the case in the past. We all remember those Reggie Jackson seasons uh, of a couple of years back. Yeah. You know, it also makes me think of two sort of what if scenarios, like what if the Pistons has been, had been as patient with Blake Griffin as they were with Reggie Jackson, right? I mean, there's no question at this point that they rushed him back uh, yeah. in the playoffs a season ago. You know, look, we don't have the inside information on what damage that did or didn't do to, to his knee or anything like that. But, you know, what if the Pistons had been just that patient? What would that mean for Blake Griffin and his career? Another thing it makes me think of in a broader perspective is the NBA season is just grueling. Um, you know, when you see guys like Reggie Jackson hit the ground running, um, they're healthy, they're rested. 
um, you just see this, you know, dynamic, explosive basketball. And what, what it makes me wonder is like, I, I just can't help but feel like the NBA season is just too grueling, right? We're just, we don't get enough of basketball players at 100%, right? Like guys are always banged up. They're always injured. They're always nursing something. The NBA season is just tough, especially when you think about those players and teams like the Pistons did a generation ago of players. Um, you're, you know, you're playing into June. You're playing 100 games over the course of a season. It, it's just a really monumental task for even the best athletes in the world to tackle. Oh, Absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's why we have load management and stuff. And, of course, we talked about before the season us hoping to see some of that uh, in the Pistons pan- plans for Blake Griffin. And we did see some of it, but obviously it, it wasn't enough to to keep out the, the need to breed mints and everything. And so, uh, yeah, that is that is something that I think the league is going to have to look at uh, very hard in the not-too-distant future. Um, next thing up is the, uh, the trade talks. Uh Andre Drummond trade talks are ostensibly dead. No more, uh, no more talks between the uh, Detroit Pistons and any other teams regarding Andre Drummond. Um, a Derrick Rose trade, which we kind of alluded to, also seems kind of dead. We've gotten conflicting reports about his availability. It appears that uh, other teams have asked about Derrick Rose, but the Pistons are not necessarily offering Derrick Rose uh, elsewhere. Uh, ben, you know, with those two guys being the the main the biggest i guess trade chips for the detroit pistons is it are you starting to think about the possibility the pistons just like stand entirely pat at at the trade deadline man i I hope they get something um you know they don't have a ton of assets but they've got the guys we've talked about on expiring deals so i'm still holding out hope for some sort of future asset right that matures in a few years rather than immediately um so wild thought, maybe if Reggie Jackson proves that he's healthy in the next few games, I mean, there's just not a lot of time between now and the trade deadline, but let's, let's hope because we can, because we're just talking on a podcast, uh, you know, maybe Reggie Jackson is enticing to someone who needs a point guard off the bench. Um, you know, obviously he makes a little bit bigger salary than some of the other guys like Rose and Langston and so on. But uh, uh, I thought maybe, maybe there's just a wild outside chance that that could happen. Um, the other thing I was thinking about is we've all sort of assumed, and it's mostly been reported that Andre Drummond is going to opt out of his contract. But, you know, I wonder if maybe sort of this lukewarm reception for him on the trade market has forced his camp into rethinking anything. Um, obviously, that's just total speculation on my part. And, you know, odds are he still opts out. It, it probably makes the most sense, but just a random thought I had. And, um, you know, part of me is still sort of thinking that if the franchise manages to lose Andre Drummond for nothing, right, he just walks away in free agency. That just feels like a really significant failure uh, in long-term franchise management. And, um, you know, I'm not sure where I would point to in terms of the blame there, but it, that's just not, not something you, you want to happen, right? You don't want to see your $25 million a year center just walk and you get nothing in return. Uh, especially when you look at their salary cap profile, uh, you know, they're not in a super favorable position. If he chooses to opt out and walk, they still have over a hundred million dollars committed when you take into account cap holds and draft pick holds and all of those sorts of things, which really isn't enough money to make any sort of significant splash uh, in free agency. So then the question starts to become, well, how in the world do you replace Andre Drummond's production when you've basically got like a mid-level and a half or maybe two mid-level exceptions 
worth of money. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm still hoping the Pistons manage to do something positive here, um, you know, e- even if it's just, you know, something small and something that has a more long-term payoff than short-term. Yeah, I think the I think the answer to your hypothetical is that like they don't right. You just uh, go into next year's free agency with. Are you going to the next season with a significantly worse team? Right, like that's what we saw in Charlotte uh, when they essentially lost Kemba Walker for nothing. You know, obviously there was the the sign and trade with Terry Rozier, but uh, you know that was a, a courtesy really to to the to the Hornets done by the Celtics. Um, yeah, I think that the the thing I keep coming back to is that the final offer we got for the final offer that uh, was reported the Atlanta Hawks made for Andre Drummond is always something that uh, just kind of makes if you can't get anything else, you can always do that. Um, if the Pistons were trying to be stubborn and, and get more uh, for and, you know, deservedly so for for Andre Drummond, um, you know, you can wait it out to the deadline and then, you know, put it together at the last minute and say like, okay, if that's, if that's the best we can do for Andre, that's the best we can do for Andre. Um, there are other like non Andre pieces. The, the Pistons can trade at the deadline. You know, there's always a possibility a playoff team, you know, looks up and uh, takes a look at Langston Galloway and says like, we could use another, you know, uh, shooter who can play defense. There's uh, there's always the the possibility, like, like you talk about a team could definitely like look up and, uh, you know, see what Reggie Jackson has to offer and see his expiring contract and uh, decide that they, they want cap space for this off season and make an offer for that. But yeah, I think that it's definitely, I definitely don't think the Pistons will stand completely pat. They will make some minor change, but I, it does kind of seem like the, the trade chatter around the league has been more quiet than you would expect in a year that's this competitive at the top of the playoffs. And so are the top of the like projected standings, I guess. And so you, you wonder why teams aren't more interested in, in improving themselves, but it's like this, it's a weird mismatch though. Right. Like, uh, you know, obviously we got, a, we got the reports that, you know, teams like Toronto and Boston would be interested in an Andre Drummond, but like, you know, what, what do they have to, to offer in return that would be like equitable or, you know, reasonably equitable. And so it's, it's this weird situation where, it's difficult. It's not necessarily, it's easy to identify what other teams could want. And it's easy to identify what uh, the, you know, a trade partners could, could be desiring, but it's difficult to find like two teams that have what each other wants. And I think that's, what's kind of slowing down this trade season. That and the fact that like uh, there's a bunch of pileups in, in the middle and in top of the, uh, of both conferences. All right, uh, and you know, speaking of that pileup, like we like we talked about last week, the Pistons how they went one and three this week, and they lost some very pivotal tanking games. <laughs> they uh, they lost to Brooklyn on Saturday. They play uh, Cleveland, I think, on Monday, and then they have a an away game in Brooklyn uh, later this week. Uh, they they really do need to lose that game again uh, just to fall further in the standings. But uh, David uh, David Fernandez, DVB Zone, David Fernandez wrote a very interesting piece this week about uh, why the Pistons would still try to make the playoffs. Ben, what would you, what'd you think of that piece? Well, shout out to David. He got, I think recognized as well. That piece made it up the chain of SB nation and got featured on the best of SB nation or something like that. So shout out to David uh, because I, I think it was a well-written piece and, and well-argued. Um, unfortunately, I just don't agree with it. Um, <laughs> 
I mean, I think he wrote it well and he made the case well. But, you know, I just I don't see any real tangible value in being that 35 or 37 win who's just like the Milwaukee Bucks sacrificial lamb. Like two years in a row, of course, right? Um, not as if the draft pick difference between, you know, being whatever you are if you lose in the first round versus, you know, your .025 chance at winning the, you know, winning the lottery is all that substantial. Um, to me, I think what is more important is solidifying the the direction of the franchise. We do seem to have an owner, for better or worse, who is, you know, pretty invested in this team being competitive and being a playoff team. Um, I think the, the temptation, the pitfall of making a late season push for the playoffs and actually making the playoffs would be further confusing the direction the franchise needs to go. I think it's pretty clear to most everybody that there just isn't enough here. Um, you know, when you think about what is Blake Griffin going to be when he's healthy, um, you know, how much of a season can we expect out of Luke Kennard on a given season, et cetera, et cetera. There's just not enough here to think you can continue to add on to this roster and make it significantly better. Um, so, you know, I'm not, I hate hoping to lose. Like I, I just sits wrong with me. Um, you know, but Laz, as we've talked about, I think there are ways to continue to develop some of the young players. Um, we've seen fits and starts of that with Seiko Dumbuya. Um, and obviously we've seen that with Bruce Brown and Luke Kennard when they've been healthy and in the rotation. Um, but I, I just don't want to muddy the waters. Like, let's just be real about where we are as a franchise, embrace it, and then start taking the next steps to move on. No, absolutely. I think that uh, David's the main, the thrust of the argument that I agreed with the most from David was that like, if they made the playoffs um, like with, with just the young guys because the rest of the East was so bad. Like if they just made the playoffs, you know, starting Bruce Brown at point guard, still trading Andre Drummond, um, you know, maybe holding on to Derek Rose and, and that being your situation at point guard. But uh, you know, if they were still, if you, if they can't help themselves and they only win like 35 games and they still make the playoffs, like you just kind of shrug your shoulders and say like, Hey, like 35 games, 35 games was enough. 35 games was enough. Um, and at that point, you know, hopefully you're getting very valuable experience for guys like Bruce Brown and Luke Kennard and, and Christian Wood, you know, obviously Bruce and Luke played in the playoffs last season. Um, you know, hopefully that's more experience for a, a Sveen Mikhail Luke, who, uh, I don't think played much in the playoffs last year or at, no, yeah, that's right. He was, he was hurt at the end of last year. So he actually didn't play at all. And, you know, honestly for, for Seku Dumbuya, you know, getting him a taste of the playoffs in his rookie year, I think would be would be beneficial for him just to see like what that competition level level is like and, and to get an idea of like how hard you have to work and play uh, to, you know, reach the the next level of, uh, of NBA success. But at, at the end of the day, right? Like I, I think it's just so far uh, removed from what's, what's likely that it's, it's not, it's barely worth considering the, the loss against Brooklyn was extremely valuable for the tank uh, rankings, rankings, excuse me. Um, we've talked a lot about, well, we haven't actually talked that much about it, but uh, the Pistons schedule does get markedly more difficult in the second half of the year. And so, you know, if they make, if they make one or two trades at the trade deadline, even minor ones, even like shipping out of Langston, right. Makes it less likely that you win some of those games. They have a lot of, uh, they have a long road trip in like March. They play a lot of home games against Western conference opponents. You know, all the Western conference teams are going to be wanting, 
uh, to compete night in and night out because the the West is very competitive at the at those final two spots for the playoffs. And so yeah, like it's it's going to be it's going to be difficult for me to imagine a situation in which the Pistons uh, don't get the their direction like established for them just by <laughs> dint of their their lack of talent and by uh, dint of their like opponents down the stretch of the season, which is beneficial, right? Like you know, getting the fifteenth pick is good, but getting hopefully the fifth pick or higher or somewhere in that area would be even better. The we talked a lot. Well, because we played Memphis this week, we talked a lot on the board about how Memphis seemed to rebuild their team so quickly. You know, part of that was winning or part of that was rising in the lottery, despite the fact that they won 33 games last year and, you know, traded Marcus Gasol, traded their their star center on the last day of the trade deadline and, you know, held on to their expensive uh, off-ended uh, star player and Mike Conley, you know, for the entirety of the season and still tried to win games. But, you know, a little bit of lottery luck and, and a very talented player in the draft later and their whole situation has flipped. You know, could that be the same for the Pistons if the Pistons were to rise in this year's draft and all of a sudden you have another exciting young guy to pair with Sekou Dumbuya and all of a sudden like that rebuild is starting to starting to look like uh, a direction that's positive. Like that is absolutely possible. But if you're, you know, competing, uh, if you're, you know, keeping Andre Drummond and you're uh, and you're trying to and you're winning more than we think you're going to win it, that that becomes less likely. And so, like, yeah, the, the Pistons, maybe they, they should try to win every night, obviously, because, you know, like Dwayne Casey said after the Brooklyn loss, like it's hard to get. I forget exactly like what aphorism he used, but he basically said like, it's hard to get losing like out of your system. So like, yeah, obviously you want the Pistons to play hard. And that's something we both tweeted about like during the Brooklyn game. Yeah, like, yeah. okay, like the young kids have played well. The team has played hard. It's like, if you lose, like that's fine. And that's what happened. Right. And so like, as long as you keep doing that, I, I think the team will be in a good, in a good spot. Yeah. And I'm 100% with coach Casey on that one. Like you definitely don't go out and play to lose. Like that's, to me, yes, you can't rid yourself of that. Losing can become a habit just like winning can become a habit, and you don't want to embed that into the DNA of your franchise. So I 100% co-sign. Um, I think we'll talk about this in a second. Um, you know, The question will be for the rest of this year, um, to what extent can we really put the young guys in those situations where they can benefit from being in those highly competitive games where maybe they just fall short because they're not good enough yet. And that can be a real motivator uh, to continue to improve. No, obviously I, I, I totally agree. Um, one of those young guys that has been playing really, really well as of late is, is Svi Mikhailuk. Um, the Svi has just really solidified, I guess what I think his NBA role will, will end up being. And I know we've talked about him, uh, in the past, but I just want to continue to to keep shouting him out uh, as a guy who has exceeded my expectations for this year, but not my like hopes. So like keep trucking, sweet. Like we really we we see you, bro. And then, uh, but the other guy that's been kind of disappointing is is Seku. You know, we we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago about placing too much pressure on Seku and having him, uh, you know, kind of uh, elevating him to a stature that he maybe hadn't necessarily earned just because of his youth and his talent. And, you know, he's struggled, you know, mightily in the last couple of games. Uh, he got blocked twice at the rim. Uh, Jared Allen, like, stuffed him twice against Brooklyn. 
he had real problems defending Jaron Jackson Jr. In, in the game against Memphis. And, you know, his, his scoring output and shooting output have dropped. Uh, ben, uh, are we how, do, how are we feeling about uh, where's our temperature on, on Sekou Dumbuya? Yeah, well, first of all, I agree with you on Svi. I, I really like what I'm seeing from him. I think he belongs in an NBA t- rotation pretty clearly. And that, that was uh, an open question for me. So for me, I kind of viewed him as, like, is he sort of an end-of-the-bench guy who maybe shows some signs but never really gets there? Or can he re- prove that he's like a top-eight guy in rotation? I think he's done that. Uh, I really like what he does, especially offensively. Obviously, he's a great shooter. Um, but he's more dynamic with the basketball, and he's more athletic finishing at the rim than I realized. So uh, absolutely excited to watch what's happening with V. You know, with Seku, the thing that I put out there um, just kind of – uh, I think I was talking with Duncan Smith on Twitter about it. Like I put out on Twitter, like, is it sort of time to pump the brakes on the idea that Seiko is the future of the franchise? And then in a follow-up conversation, sort of the way my thoughts formalized around this were like, it's obvious to me, given his level of athleticism and raw talent, um, that he's going to be a good basketball player at some level, right? Like the question is how, how good or, you know, like average starter or something significantly better, right? Like his talent level seems there to me. So the way my thinking about it sort of developed was it's clear to me that he's a part of the future, but it's not at all clear to me that he's the future. And it's, it's really not even fair to think of him as the future at this point, right? He's only played what, 10, 12 NBA games, something like that obviously had some incredible success early and has, has hit the rookie wall a little sooner than we all thought. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm still sort of where I've been with Seku. Like, I knew he was going to have some games like this. Like, he's 19 years old. The odds of him not having games like this are just totally stacked against him. Like, this is what happens to really, really young players uh, when they're exposed to NBA basketball every single time this sort of thing happens. So I'm absolutely um, excited about Seiko and his future. The thing that I really don't want to happen, and I hinted at this maybe two weeks ago, is I don't want to see his role get jerked around too much based on his night in and night out performance. So I do worry a little bit about putting him in the starting lineup, then yanking him out of the starting lineup and, you know, playing for 12 minutes versus playing for 25 minutes. Like um, those sorts of things, I think you have to be really careful with, um, with young, young players, but you know, it's clear some of his um, underdeveloped portions of his game, like his defense, my goodness. Yeah. Jackson just tore him up. Right. I mean, he was a force and especially in that first half and Antigua just didn't have any answers. Um, yeah, so I understand maybe you don't want to leave him out there because you don't want to get him totally demoralized either. But I, I hope the franchise continues to remain committed to keeping him in a consistent role, get him his minutes, let him take his lumps uh, and learn from him as well. And then the other thing I'm really curious to watch over the rest of the course of this season, as we've seen Derek Rose's role grow, like, first of all, I'm sort of wondering why I'm starting to think that maybe they're really trying to push to get him an all-star appearance. Like, if you listen to George and Greg, if you listen to uh, Pistons Twitter, um, the official account of Pistons Twitter, uh, I mean by that, like they seem to be really trying to get him in the All-Star game. Um, but one of the things I've noticed is that Seku tends to just sort of float and get lost um, when he's playing with a guy like Derrick Rose. I think there are other veterans who have understood how to position themselves without the ball. Uh, Langston and Zvi come to mind. They put themselves in really good positions. They make themselves available when Rose gets into the paint. Whereas I feel like Seiko sort of drifts and sort of just doesn't understand what to do. Uh, so that dynamic between those two players just ain't working yet. 
Um, so I'm going to keep my eye on that. And, and maybe that's part of why uh, Casey yanked Zico out of the, uh, the starting lineup a little bit this week was to put him in different situations. Um, but something to keep an eye on, I think, over the, the last 40 or so of the season. For for what it's worth, I think we got the report that uh, Seku didn't start one game this week because he was late to shoot around. Oh, okay. I missed that one. Yeah. Yeah. So not necessarily like any performance related thing, more like a, a young dude, you know, that and, you know, that is part of instilling the culture, right? Like that is part of that's good coaching. Um, as far as like him interacting with Rose, I I totally see and I agree with where you're coming from. Um, one thing that has really impressed me with Seku is that uh, he does not play like a typical 19-year-old. He does not uh, tend to try and like impose his will on the game. But what that can often mean is that he can like float for quarters, for halves. Like there, there will be times when he's not, um, well, he where he's in the right position and he just gets the ball and he's he's not ready. Um, you know, conversely, there have been times, especially in transition where the team has like not found him as he's running hard in transition. And like that really frustrates me because like you can tell very clearly he wants to get out and run and use his athleticism to score easy baskets and to get the team going that way. And, you know, guys like Derek Rose and guys like Bruce Brown, like just haven't been able to find him consistently in transition. Uh, like Langston missed him against Brooklyn, like one time, like really egregiously. And I just like, I tore what little hair I have out. But uh, yeah, so as long as we're in uh, the playing time, as long as uh, the communication between the coaching staff and him is uh, is positive about like why he is playing the amount of time that he's playing, um, I think it's a good thing. You obviously, like you said, you don't want to leave him out there uh, to struggle and you you don't want to leave him uh, out there so that his, his confidence gets uh, gets low. Um, but at the same time, I think Dwayne also wants to be able to point to, you know, an example in, of the veterans in the locker room and say like, hey, like these guys are performing like that's the reason they're playing. Like we want to help you perform. But like when when you perform, you will you will get more minutes He's making making the kid like earn the minutes he's getting. I think that's I think that's valuable. I think it's good to not necessarily overburden Seku like with all those future expectations it's not it's good not to tell Seku like hey because you're the future of our franchise like you are going to get force fed like 30 minutes a night as much as I personally from like an analysis perspective would like to see that uh, like that's probably not amazing for a guy's long-term development um and, you know we've seen we've seen cases in the past where you know guys got used to a a shot diet and a uh and a play style that, you know, they were never going to actually find success with, but they couldn't find like productivity with, and that got them into some bad habits. And like that had an adverse impact on the rest of their careers. You know, I'm glad that they're not trying to do that with Seku, but for now, what I will, what I will say is I would just be happy if, um, and to help him not flow through quarters, uh, his team, his teammates were like more easily able to find him in transition and to look for him in transition. Like that would be a nice, like first step into keeping him engaged and in the game on, on both ends of the floor. Uh, Oh yeah. Then the last thing I wanted to get to uh, before we got to the schedule this week is Lewis King. We saw, you know, a solid half of basketball for, from Lewis King for, for two straight uh, games. Um, He had a really nice uh, move off a DHO in the Brooklyn game. 
a nice corner three in uh, the Sacramento game, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, he's played double-digit minutes, I think, in, in both games. And the thing that I've noticed the most is that he just like doesn't look out of place on an NBA court. Uh, what have what have your impressions of Lewis King been uh, so far, Ben? Yeah, I think the thing um, that's most interesting to me is the lack of mistakes. I think you know, a young player like him thrust into double digit minutes, sort of out of nowhere, you'd be maybe prone to make mistakes against Memphis. I uh, thought he rebounded well, um, looked looked more physical than his his physicality. Like just looking at him, I wouldn't necessarily think super physical, but I thought he rebounded well. And then Brooklyn, I think y- you mentioned. Um, knocking down a corner three. Um, yeah. I mean, so he played and he, he acquitted himself nicely. Um, not a guy I had really any expectations for uh, going into the season. Um, sure. Be nice to have someone like him turn out to be a rotation player, right? Like that's the sort of luck you need when you're rebuilding. So uh, let's keep watching. Let's, let's see what he's, let's see what the kids got. No, absolutely. If, you know, it turns out that like he's a rotation player, all of a sudden Svi uh, is a rotation player You've got Bruce and Luke in place. You you hope what you you hope what you've got in Seku. Like all of a sudden, you've got like a nice little stable of young guys, and like that's that's what the point of a rebuild is: is to find these rotation guys uh, in in the uh, in the uh, I don't want to say dirt diamonds in the rough. There, there you go. go. Yeah, in the rough. <laughs> well, and like you need luck, right? Like I mentioned this yeah. in the comments last week. Every dynasty benefits from luck. I think the important thing to do is to put yourself, put your franchise, your roster, your cap profile, all of those things into a position where when you do become the beneficiary of luck, you're ready to strike, right? Like strike when the iron's hot. Um, you're right. A handful of young guys who are all rotation worthy is definitely a step in that direction. And and last thing on this, like shout out to, to Donnie Tendall and the coaching staff in Grand Rapids who have like very clearly done a good job preparing these guys to play at the next level and to play uh, in the system, the the parent team like wants them to play. That is not necessarily something that's easy to do, and it can you know at times like have an adverse effect on whether or not like you're winning games in the G League. But I, I think it's really important for uh, getting the guys to the actual NBA for them to do so. And and it appears that you know Donnie Tindall and staff have done so admirably. So shout out to the guys in Grand Rapids. All right, Ben, uh, the Pistons have four games this week. They play a home game against Cleveland tomorrow, Monday. They have a road game against the Brooklyn Nets on Wednesday, a home game against the Toronto Raptors on Friday, and then a 12:30 matinee game Sunday against the Denver Nuggets. Uh, how many games the Pistons lose this week, Ben? <laughs> I can see four, right? Like, I mean, Cleveland has been stubborn and difficult for us. Um, at Brooklyn, that doesn't bode well. The Raptors are obviously good and I think have some challenging matchups for us. I mean, point guard defense continues to just be an absolute struggle. Um, and then Denver, obviously we know what Denver's doing. Denver, obviously nightmare matchups as well, uh, but in a different sort of way. Um, so I'm thinking one and three is best case scenario. If you're hoping for wins, um, oh, and four is definitely possible. And also I can't let this podcast end without, Quick shout out to Andre Drummond and his nine turnovers on MLK Day. Oh my goodness! I went. I didn't get to see that game live, um, but today I went back to NBA.com and watched every single one of his turnovers again. And good grief! Like, I, shout out to Steve Hinson if you're listening, Steve. Like, I can only imagine the struggle you were going through watching those silly turnovers. It was absolutely <laughs> brutal, and it was like an otherwise very good game from Andre. Like he facilitated well. He had some fantastic passes. 
out of the high post that were like, you know, thread the needle sort of bounce passes to cutters. But man, those nine turnovers were just ugly basketball. No, absolutely. And I think you're right in that it's, it's you hope that the Pistons go one and three this week to kind of, again, like keep the the stench of losing kind of out of your soul and out of your locker room. Um, you know, maybe that, that home Cleveland game is beneficial. The, the Pistons um, have played the Cavaliers tight uh, at times during the year. And so you hope they can come away with a win uh, for that game and then perhaps lose the rest. And then, like, the, I'm just looking at the schedule now, right? Like, the schedule does not get easier. Uh, they have an away game against the Grizzlies. They have a home game against Phoenix, who looks really well. You've got a road game against Oklahoma City. You've got a, a, an upcoming game against the Milwaukee Bucks again. And, like, we know, we know how those go. And so, like, yeah, you can very – you can see the turn where the schedule gets really difficult for this team, and it's going to be about fighting to stay out of, you know, six-game, seven-game, eight-game losing streaks. Um, and you hope that they've built up enough, uh, you know, cachet of of uh, of not necessarily like talent, but of like fight and desire and drive throughout the season to to keep themselves like out of situations where they're losing, you know, eight straight games. All right, Ben, uh, this is the end of the podcast. Let the people know where they can talk to you. Let the people know uh, where they can find you and your work. At BR Golker on Twitter is a great place to connect. Um, obviously, the podcast comments, I definitely try to jump into those posts on DBB. Uh, give us your feedback. We appreciate it. And you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. All right, everyone. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you guys next week.